a budget bonanza. Cost of living relief, a health injection, and stopping the steal. One news inside Parliament. Welcome to One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Benedict Collins. And welcome to our budget podcast edition. We have been consuming everything budget over the last 24 hours and, and can't a fair wait bit of to coffee. Talk- yeah. yeah, a fair bit of coffee and tea and a bit of sugar thrown in there too. Uh, so let's get started. Let's start with our pits and our peaks. Benedict, do you want to start us off? Let's start off happy. Peaks. I do have a peak, and we're going to jump across the Tasman for this one. I um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Over in Australia, they've got their uh, election tomorrow. And on the election campaign trail this week, um, Scott Morrison uh, playing soccer with a group of kids where he tripped over his own feet and totally smashed into some... I think a seven-year-old kid playing soccer totally smashed him into the ground. That's the kind of stuff that you live for as a um, television <laughs> journalist. And I bet it brought a lot of... The, the kid was fine as well, um, important to note. Um, jumped back up with a smile, apparently. Uh, but, yeah, that's the kind of stuff you live for. And you he's know, become famous like now that. in Australia. It's just it's just one of those political moments that you see him and you're thinking, what are you doing? Yeah. Don't play football with kids. What are you doing? <laughs> and then he does it. It's, it was it was a moment. It was yeah. the slow-mo for me. Just yeah. watching it on slow motion was just epic, epic stuff. Oh, yeah. So we'll How see what happens with the awesome polls today. Awesome will it be next then. year if we get something similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my peak this week is obviously the fact that it's budget because as was said in our office, it is pretty much Christmas for the geeks and the nerds of which we are among them. We are them. And I, gosh, I love it. Honestly, just the excitement. It's hard to describe, um, but the excitement is real, folks. And yesterday we had the budget and it was all go. It was everything that we dreamed of. Not sure about the announcements, but we'll get into that. Hashtag always, party like a journalist. That's right. Always some, you know, some wins, some losses, some hits, some misses in the budget. But yeah, it was great. And just quickly, I started off my budget week also going to a concert at the Michael Fowler Centre on Sunday with my dad and my partner and we watched Ocean Alley um, and the opening band was Hockey Dad and actually it was amazing. It was so good just to be back in that sort of concert atmosphere. It's not just pure politics here That's on right. Inside Parliament, let me tell you. My peak this week was also budget related. I loved the announcement on the new boat for the Chatham Islands. Their, their old boat is becoming um, a bit of a challenge for them and they need this boat to get goods and services, to get fuel in. So it's a big deal and it was really cool this morning on breakfast to be able to interview um, a member of the Chatham Islands community about what a big deal $35 million for this boat was. So that was a a nice little nugget out of there and you can't say we're not going the extra mile to get reaction from around New Zealand. Yeah. Pit. Pit for me. Shall I? Do you want to start? Okay. So Pit for me, um, I had COVID last week and was isolating and came back on Friday, on Monday, and it was like, welcome back to work, Jess. Um, Go into a lockup on the climate change uh, announcement with a very large document. And I have to say the fog 
uh, post-COVID was a bit intense. So I had to concentrate very, very hard on that climate change um, document. Luckily, the fog lifted. But um, yeah, the, the, it was it was pretty intense that quite, day. Quite the metaphor for the uh, smoke and fog that'll be lifting out of you know the environment as we move towards cleaner energy, guys. And, well, that's beautiful, my You know, dear. public transport. Did you like that segue? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, um, Benedict looks poised to give his pit. Well, not so much a pit, but something that's rather interesting. So when we go into the budget lockup, we go in at, oh, we can sprint in and basically grab, grab a table at about 10 a.m. and they bring the budget copies out at 10.30. And we, we're under this like sort of strict um, embargo where you're supposed to put your phones on onto flight mode or turn them off altogether. And you're not allowed to sort of transmit any information during the budget lockup. But they're pretty trusting, right? They, you know, they kind of, anyone in there is kind of assumed to have enough common sense that they're not going to breach the um, lock-up rules until 2pm when it's like it's all go right you can transmit anything you can publish the details and stuff like that and Treasury has launched an investigation yesterday after the Wall Street Journal um, broke the embargo and started publishing information out of the budget at about 1pm and Treasury has said that they're extremely disappointed with a serious breach of lockup protocol. So bad boys, bad boys, Wall Street Journal in a lot of trouble there. Uh, they might find it tough to get into future budgets, I imagine. Yeah, really mm. interesting. Mm. A little in- insight for you. What about you, Mikey? Um, the pit this week is that um, we've had another uh, National Party MP announced that they'll be stepping down at the next election. Um, that is Jackie Dean from the National Party, who sometimes will sit in the uh, Speaker's chair and um, run the House when uh, Trevor Mallard and Adrian Rudolph aren't there. Um, and it also comes as we find out what Simon Bridges' new job is, which is replacing Michael Barnett at the Auckland Chamber of Commerce. So there you go. That's his new gig. The worst kept secret in politics. Yeah, and something Michael <laughs> Barnett was um, steadfastly denying not that long ago that yeah. um, he, Simon Bridges would be coming and replacing him. Yeah. Mm, pants mm. on fire, Mr. Mm. Barnett. Mm. Mm. Let us talk now about the budget. The nice sweetener was the $350 payment over three months. So let's have a chat about that and in general the cost of living. I mean, it seems like it was a bit of a sugar hit, a bit of a flash in the pan. It's temporary. Yep, it'll make a bit of a difference for people, but it's only for three months. And like I talked about last night and on breakfast this morning, the finance minister is having to walk this tightrope between giving people a hand because they're struggling and not adding to that inflation problem. And when I talked to him, he said that actually when he put the idea to officials about this cost of living grant, they said, ooh, we don't really like that idea very much and we're not supportive, worried that it would push up inflation. So interesting to get a bit of an insight behind the scenes and perhaps a sign that he said, right, we've got to do something about this. We've got to give people something because of that political pressure that's coming for them. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's right. I think there was no way the government could not have something like this to address the issue and the crisis of living costs. I mean, it's been plaguing the government for, you know, the better part of of the last month 
or more um, and National has just you know found a lot of momentum in going after the government on that issue so while yes Grant Robertson had you know officials a bit nervous there about the impact that it could you know have on inflation there was no way around it they had to do something and you know every budget we're always looking for that you know that one little big piece that is going to impact people at home in their pockets and this was it. Benedict Collins. Yeah, I just thought it was rather extraordinary that they made the decision to cut um, pensioners and uh, beneficiaries out of this one-off $350 payment. The government's logic was that, hey, these um, basically, if you're on any sort of benefit, whether it's super or a job seeker benefit or, or lots of other ones as well, then you're entitled to the winter energy payment, which is akin to $350 anyway, so you're not going to get this payment. But I mean, it's those people who have been smashed just as hard by the cost of living crisis as anyone else. They're on the lowest incomes and the government's completely cut them out of the picture. I think it is about, though, finding that balance because the impact on inflation is real. They had to be responsible about it. I just, I just, if you if you opened it up further, I do wonder what the impact would have been like and if it would have been far too great on inflation. But why not make it 60000 and then have it apply to everyone? You know what I mean? Like, I wonder what the tipping point, and maybe that's something I'll ask right Robertson about what was that tipping point because was it a decision because they feel like they need to target that quote unquote squeezed middle that the National Party had been going on about maybe they felt like they had to go up to 70,000 and that meant they had to not include those who were earning the least so I'll talk to him about that today because I think it'll be interesting or or we'll OAA it and find out Yeah I was really happy that it that it did apply to students because I think students do it do it really tough in terms of the cost of living. I mean, they're already living off noodles and dollar breads, um, and so to have this, um, you know, available to them is, I think, is pretty good. Yeah, and I think it was interesting because we'd had a lot, we'd had a heads up on quite a few of the things in the budget, and we knew there'd be a surprise. We knew there'd be some kind of sweetener. They'd ruled out tax cuts, so we knew that it probably wasn't going to be that. Um, but the sort of temporary helicopter payment for want of a better term was a nice surprise and they were very tight-lipped about that Um, so I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that plays out I mean the other big the other little thing you know I described it as kind of having lots of lollies and if you add them up it creates a little bit of a buffer or a bit of a cushion for people but only temporarily and I think if you look at things like um, half-price transport costs that's a factor, um, the 25 cent excise tax extending that for another couple of months. So the finance minister has definitely left the door open to be able to extend those further if we need to. And when we see inflation peak, he'll be able to, I guess, make that decision on on where he sits on the tightrope. Mm. Um, I do wonder, though, with the government facing so much pressure from National on the issue of the squeezed middle, we saw nothing there for that middle demographic. And I wonder if that is going to leave them vulnerable leading up to the election, because that has been a um, strong point for the National Party in order to pursue the government, and the fact that they didn't address that or for, didn't quite, you know, offer something that could quiet down the National Party on that front, whether that will hurt them going into the election. Why are you frowning, Benedict Collins? Or what do you mean by there's nothing for the squeeze middle? Well, what was in there for, for those in the middle income brackets? So if you earn 71 grand, there's nothing in there for you. Are they the middle? 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, isn't it? You can't. We can't. You can't say that I. Um, that oh, no, I it's, it is the middle. It's it's the it's the police. It's with, the police workers. It's the teachers. Yeah, it's the I nurses agree. that the National Party's talking mm. about, and they're not the ones who are earning under seventy k. They're earning just over that. And this is another thing that um, I'll have to check in with the minister about because he is saying that eighty percent of New Zealanders will will get mm. this, but. If you're taking out the beneficiaries and and that end, and you're taking out the high income earners, I'm just not quite sure. No, I think they include they include beneficiaries in that eighty percent because they get the winter energy payment. Right, so yeah. that's where okay, yeah. so that's where the um, oh, that's a bit disingenuous. Yeah, isn't so it? that's where the eighty percent comes from. But I I think that that phrase of the squeeze middle, if you're let's say you're a nurse and you're earning seventy one thousand dollars, and your um, partner is a teacher and they're earning seventy one thousand dollars, yep, you've got a great combined income but you're still feeling it and you're doing it tough you're getting nothing out of this budget um, that's anything long term and I think that's that argument we're going to hear National going on and on and on about and Labour will argue yes we have we've addressed the squeeze middle um, and, and Labour would say hey we, we've also extended you know the, the petrol um, Fuel tax Excise, yep, two months in public transport half two price. Months, we've we've yeah. extended that as well. So you know that they would argue that the yeah. issue is again that those things those. are temporary though, and and, and they're, they're again like those small little lollies. But there's nothing significant to, to take away from the budget for them. And, and the problem for, with that is that that middle, that's where all the votes are. That's where people get out and the actually turn votes. up, turn mm-hmm. up to, to the voting booth. Well, even just showing up to vote, mm. you know, because we know that a lot of people in those low socioeconomic demographics, they don't show up to vote. And so I just think it's it's a little bit dangerous for the government to have, you know, almost completely ignored them by the, by the half price public transport if you use it and, and the um, fuel tax. Those things, again, though, are temporary. It's a little bit dangerous when you've got Chris Luxon and Nicola Willis so strong on this squeezed middle narrative, whether you agree with it or not, they're strong on that narrative, and to not have addressed that in any way, especially when the government's already been pounded at the polls, I just think leaves them open to so much vulnerability. And they're lollies, but perhaps more like smoker-sized lollies, those little tiny pink ones that they're scattering around. There's a beautiful metaphor for you. Um, Something that's getting a very big chunk of change, though, is health. $11.1 billion over four years. I mean, a big chunk of that is clearing the DHB debt, but that was something you did a deep dive into, Mikey. What's your take on that? I think a lot of people would have been happy to just have that confirmed that that DHB debt is gone and that the Māori Health Authority and Health NZ will have a clean slate to start from because that's what's needed if they really want to get serious about, you know, creating something new and moving forward. They have to get rid of that, you know, ball and chain of the of the massive debt that those DHBs have constantly been carrying. I think um, out of 12 of the last 13 years, they've been carrying deficits and running deficits. So that was a big part of it. Um, and I think a lot of focus too on training up um, and providing new workplaces for the likes of nurses. They had physios in there. They had pharmacists. They're really looking at that early intervention phase. Um, also good just to see a few more ambulances. It's the simple things like a few more ambulances and a new helicopter crew. And, and you know helicopter on the way and just things like that because I think especially during COVID everyone and everyone just saw you know how important those first responders are um, and so and so I think yeah some good stuff in there for health 
Jeez, it's and, a it's a bottomless pit, though, isn't it? Like health in terms of like just yeah. this week we've seen Hutt Hospital. They're going to have to close buildings out there because it's an earthquake risk. There's you know big question marks about Hawke's Bay's hospital. I think Wellington as well about you know whether these buildings are going to have to be replaced. We've had several years of stories about how run down Middlemore Hospital is. You know the infrastructure with health is just. Uh, hopeless. Getting down into the minutiae eye of the budget as well, it just reminded me that some funding is going to four new coroners as well. I thought that was quite interesting that there's, there's a backlog, they're really struggling, and that's something that they're needing to put um, millions of dollars into to to get them up and running as well. So it's it's those are the things that don't you know necessarily make make the news, but interesting little bits and pieces as well. Shall we also talk about climate change? Because there are a number of pre-budget announcements, Benedict, you did obviously, um, the police justice announcement and um, there was, on Monday, there was um, the climate change and, and there was a mental health announcement on Tuesday as well for a couple of hundred million. But the climate change announcement was really interesting. The big takeaway from that was the car scheme. You take along your old dunger that's guzzling gas and you can trade it in for some money to pay for an EV or an e-bike or a hybrid. Um, No details, um, nothing, you know, like the salary cap or um, how much you're going to get, but, but really interesting and I think it will make people feel excited that maybe they will be able to tap into this, this and have access to an EV or a hybrid. Yeah, so they're going to run a trial, right, for two yeah. and a half thousand cars, where you'd, you'd scrap your old dunger and get a hefty discount on a on an electric vehicle. Yeah, and yeah. I think, I mean, for a lot of people, the idea of owning an EV is a is very exciting and and often aspirational. The the grant scheme, yep, that has been successful, but it it's we're not in the for many, it's just not an area that you can kind of... It's just too expensive still for a lot of mm. New Zealanders. So well, this might open that up a bit. Also on the announcement on Monday, um, more than $700 million um, they're giving to the agricultural sector, right, to try and mm-hmm. try and come up with ways to reduce our agricultural emissions. Somewhat controversial because some people feel that, you know, given agriculture is not in the ETS, um, to then give them, you know, the best part of a billion dollars, uh, out of that you kind of giving money to your biggest polluters, right? Um, and then the, the government's position is, hey, if, if we need to put money into research and development to try and come up with products and technology that can help reduce our emissions, right? Um, and then yesterday as well to see, I think it was more than another $150 million given in the budget yesterday. So, you know, a, a billion dollars this this week alone given from the government, you know, into into initiatives in the in the agricultural sector, which is kind of kind of fascinating when you compare it with the almost zero support that they gave to beneficiaries although they did announce and I was I've done a lot of stories on you know different stories related to to welfare and to child poverty and to see yesterday I was I was stunned um, when I saw it they have decided that they're going to stop swiping the child support payments made to sole parents on the benefit so in the 1990s uh, the the government changed the rules so and it's nearly all mums, right? So say, for example, the, mu- the mum and dad have split up, the mum's on the benefit, the dad pays child support to help support his kids, IRD just keeps that money. They never give it to the mum. So that money never gets to those kids, right? And they've been sw- straight up swiping this money for 30-odd for years. And Carmel Cipollone yesterday, she said, hey, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's wrong, we've, we've absolutely 
delighted we can put an end to it. But this this money was rightfully theirs, and we've been swiping it for decades. And uh, the government estimated it will help about 41,000 solo parents on the benefit, and they estimate this could lift about between six and 14,000 children out of poverty, which is like a pretty um, easy step for the government to take, right, just to stop swiping their money and, and to lift thousands of kids out of poverty, but you could also turn that around and say, well, these kids probably shouldn't have been in poverty in the first place. And the government has swiped how many hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars that and should have gone to vulnerable kids, right? How is this not a thing years ago? Like It, that's, it, it, just it was one of the recommendations in the Welfare Expert Advisory yeah, Group. But also cool. it's going to take them a year to pass the legislation and actually stop, stop the steal. Mm. Mm. Well, that seems like a nice place to end it. Did you have another point you wanted to make? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Let's you, talk quickly about the Māori Health yes. Authority budget. Oh, yes, budget. of course. Apologies, Mikey Sherman. Um, so the Māori Health Authority budget yesterday got $168 million over four years. That breaks down to $42 million each year. Now, this is in comparison to Health NZ, who received around $3.1 billion for the next two years alone. And there are a lot of factors at play here, but if we start at the um, at the basic point where this Māori Health Authority has been pitched, has been built up as this big game changer for turning around Māori health inequities. Obviously we have Māori dying 7 to 10 years younger than non-Māori. So this was going to be the big game changer. And I just don't think that $42 million a year was what... M- any of us, many of us were expecting. I mean, when I got that paper in the budget yesterday, I almost choked on my coffee, guys. <laughs> I almost I choked on my coffee. <laughs> I, I literally did because it was just like, what are we supposed to do with that? Now, the government says, look, you know, we've got current Ministry of Health contracts that are currently run by the various DHBs for Māori service providers. They'll be transferred in under the Māori Health Authority. And I'm just, just saying that is the status quo. We're supposed to be, you know, aspirational and moving beyond that and creating more than that and going further than that in order to really change, you know, health outcomes for Māori. So how is anything going to change with the status quo continuing, just with the Māori stamping the the contracts instead of DHBs, and $42 million on top of that? Because you can expect that the, the contracts that the Ministry of Health has for, you know, that's run by DHBs for mainstream health providers, those two will be transferred across under Health NZ. And yet Health NZ has been given $3.1 billion over the next two years. And yes, I realise that that money also goes to things like hospitals and, and, and wages and that sort of thing. But when we strip all that away, including wiping the debt of these DHBs, are we really going to see Health NZ left with $42 million or the equivalent to, to that based on, you know, Base it on what you like. It won't be that that minimal amount. The cushion at Health NZ will be much, much bigger. And so the, the question of whether that's equity for Māori has to be raised. And then the other thing is people are saying, oh, well, the Māori Health Authority has um, a say and is part of decision making when it comes to Health NZ uh, services as well. We all know how that's worked out in the past, Māori being at the table and trying to fight for a piece of the bun, the bread, you know, that bun fight. And just this was supposed to be Māori having the opportunity to take ownership and authority on health services and outcomes for their people. If the majority of that is just current status quo contracts or better still, having to argue and negotiate for contracts across the room with Health NZ, I'm just, I'm just not sure 
that that is really going to lead to the change needed. And people keep saying it's a good start. I'm saying it's been 175 years to get to this point and you're telling me this is the starting point. How many more years are we going to have to wait before we actually see more than just incremental changes? That is the question. So that's my rant on the Māori Health Authority. No, it wasn't a rant. They're really good points. And, <laughs> and you questioned the minister. Yeah. You go, Benedict. What did you make of, because you questioned um, Grant Roberts and Penny Henare yesterday in the budget. What did you make of their responses to you when you, when you put those questions? So I said to Grant Robertson, is this equity for Māori? And he said, this is absolutely equity for Māori. It's just the beginning. And so I've already made the point on what I think about it being just the beginning. I think, you know, Māori have waited long enough for just the beginning. We want more than just the beginning. We want game changer. We want to see those health inequities turned around. And how are we going to achieve that if we're happy with being on the starting blocks? Like, we've been on the starting blocks for years. This is supposed to be us now bolting from the gate, getting things done and making real change. The other thing they say is, oh, well, the capacity's not there, the workforce isn't there. I just I just can't accept that when during COVID we had a number of Māori health providers screaming out for more funding, saying they could do more, they could deliver more, reach more of their communities if they just had the resources. So I don't accept that, you know, the, providing more funding isn't possible because there's simply not the capacity there to deliver on it. I think Māori health providers would, you know, scream out to get that cash. And if not, then I want to see a major investment in um, training up Māori nurses. And we saw that yesterday, but it was on par to the same sort of levels as, you know, we're seeing across the board with, with Health NZ as well. You know, if we are really wanting to take back ownership of Māori health outcomes, then we need to see even more going beyond, you know, the the... The current status quo when it comes to you know training training people up for that and like ensuring that delivery by Māori for Māori approach and I just think oh this just looks like more of the same old same old I mean seriously you promise this game-changing Māori health authority and then you show up with 42 million dollars a year on top of the status quo how is anyone supposed to expect major change with that I, I think that's really well blows put. my mind yeah no it's really well put but I think we're gonna have to leave it there Thank you guys very much for a good chat. That was One News Inside Parliament talking about our stories that we've been covering on One News. We will be on the podcast platforms, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you normally catch us, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. (laughs) 